Sam Austin, founder and board chair of IDAC, the Investment Diversity Advisory Council, and partner and chairman of the board at NEPC, one of the world's leading investment consulting firms. Welcome to the Epic Human Podcast. Joe, thank you very much for having me today. My pleasure. My pleasure. This has been a long time coming and I'm, I'm thrilled we can finally get it, get it done. Um, so you and I both serve on the board of IDAC. Right. And uh, it's an organization you were the uh, a founder of. And just for those who don't know, and I'll just read this directly from our, our charter, uh, IDAC is a forum for the nation's largest institutional investors to discuss academic, empirical, and business cases that support diverse decision-making, best practices to promote diversity in finance, and data-driven strategies to track progress over time. So my question for you is, there are a lot of other organizations that are focused on diversity in finance and other industries. What inspired you to start IDAC and why must it exist? That's a great question. It really goes to the core, I think, of who I am, Joe, um, and the core of who I think our country is. Um, I'm really focused on this being an opportunity for all stakeholders in our industry to get together and understand that while we may have divergent agendas, um, we do have one thing in common, which is maximizing the talent in our organizations and maximizing the talent in the products that we deliver to our stakeholders. And IDAC is about getting us to realize uh, in our industry what uh, America was supposedly founded on, which is that um, all are welcome here and that if talent is evenly distributed throughout the population, we wanna utilize all of that talent to give the best possible result for our clients. So why does it exist for talent maximization? Um, why is it different? We believe it's the only opportunity within our institutional asset management business where all stakeholders are sitting around the table together uh, talking about the things that are in our common interest. So uh, according to the Knight Foundation, just to follow up on that, to the Knight Foundation uh, as of last year, 1.4% of the total US AUM is managed by diverse and or female uh, managers. So vast majority, 98% is, uh, is managed by white males. Um, and those are just the statistics and they may surprise a lot of people. I, I know I was surprised when I first read that. Um, and I've dealt with this issue myself as in, in the venture capital industry, worked in it for 10 years. Right. Very few other investors, black, brown, female um, around me at firms I was working at. And, um, and that's really what inspired me to get involved with organizations like Black BC and, and Cap Table Coalition and now IDAC. Right. Um, so my question for you is, what are IDAC's goals and how do we really move the needle with this great challenge? Well, Joe, I'm a big uh, uh, believer in metrics and having goals. So one of the first things we did was have a very healthy debate for about a year on what these goals should be 
And uh, one of them is to double the participation of people from underutilized groups. You mentioned women. You mentioned uh, historically uh, classified minorities in our in the United States. Uh, but we think this is a global issue, and in large part, this would be true about uh, for, from a gender equity perspective anywhere in the world. Uh, that we want to double the participation of businesses owned by those underrepresented groups over the next half decade. Secondly, in order to achieve this kind of equitable participation in our business, in our particular industry, uh, we have a goal of bringing 10,000 new professionals into our industry, which really means reaching down to like the seventh grade level, Joe, to make students aware of financial literacy skills that will help them throughout their lives, whether, the, whether they become a part of our industry or not, but also introducing them to a career path uh, in what can be an extremely rewarding um, career in, in financial services. Uh, so that's narrowly what the goals are uh, for IDAC, and it's very specific. It's time-bound. Um, it's measurable to see are we uh, accomplishing it or not. Uh, you mentioned the term uh, moving the needle. Uh, we'll talk a little later about uh, the IDAC Global Summit on DEI uh, in September, uh, but the theme of that conference is moving the needle. So we want to do things that are actionable, that show us moving toward those goals. But if I might, I'd love to just talk a little more broadly that the bigger vision 10 years out is that IDAC can be an example to other industries of how we can decide on different stakeholders with different agendas getting together and finding out where's the intersection of those, those agendas, working towards putting the best possible team to play. Uh, so we're hopeful that if the private sector can do that, we're starting in our industry in institutional asset management, but if other industries can do that and then partner with the powerful things that government can do uh, to incent those things, to measure those things, we can build public-private partnerships that neither the government alone could do by themselves, nor could any one company, any one individual, even any one industry could do on our own. So there's a broader vision as well. Wow. You, you've mentioned twice now um, the value of having multiple cohorts right. uh, involved. And so the five cohorts that are involved in the in the IDAC platform are allocators, right. consultants, diverse-owned managers, non-diverse-owned managers, and industry partners. Right. Why, why is it important that all five are represented? And what does each group bring to the table, in your opinion? That's a great question. Um, do we have more than an hour on this? <laughs> Each of those groups uh, plays an important role in our industry. And again, other industries are going to be different. They'll have different sets of cohorts. But in our industry, allocators, the first group you mentioned, those are um, pension funds, their endowments and foundations, uh, their corporate entities, uh, hospitals, um, private uh, wealth family offices. These are all sources of great capital that are seeking a place to put that money to use um, and earn a return on that money. Um, then there are the asset managers, whether they be diverse owned or not diverse owned, who are the uh, companies that are generally hired to produce that return for those allocators. There are investment consultants, such as my firm, NEPC, that sit in the middle between the allocators and the managers uh, to help determine the appropriate strategic asset allocation, to do due diligence on the right managers that would fit for those particular allocators. So you can begin to see right away that there are uh, different agendas that each of those three groups would have. 
we subdivide the managers into diverse and non-diverse, and then we also have industry partners. We'll talk about them in a moment. But those three, if we'll start with them, they uh, can be seen as on opposite sides of the fence and consultants as uh, the gatekeepers in that's managing that fence or the gate in the fence. So uh, what we've done is to indicate that each party has something to gain and each party should have something they're willing to give in order to get a better result. All of those parties are, are joined together in wanting the best possible risk-adjusted return for their stakeholders. And to get the best possible risk-adjusted re return, I would posit that having the best investment talent, the best uh, uh, marketing representatives, the best senior management, the best board governance of those organizations will lead to getting better results uh, for the stakeholders on an, from an investment perspective. So this is very much uh, both an altruistic thing, but it's also in the best business interest of all of those organs of all of those stakeholders to find the best way they can put their uh, their foot forward. If I might digress for just a moment, sure. I, um, I will uh, go into some uh, rather uh, predictable sports analogies here. <laughs> that uh, if you were a major league baseball owner back in the 1940s and thought, you know. Why would I want to shake up the boat by uh, recruiting this Jackie Robinson character from the Negro Leagues? Uh, we're doing just fine as we are. Um, so if you were a middling um, Major League Baseball owner who would never won the World Series and thought, I don't need to look at somebody that uh, is new to the business or new to our industry, you would have missed out on one of the greatest talents of that generation or any other. If you were... Uh, don't want to pick on this particular school. If let's say you were a, a school somewhere in the South, perhaps uh, playing in the big leagues and of college football, but uh, there's uh, some kid down the road uh, named Jerry Rice. Why should I bother recruiting him? You've never won a national championship. Maybe you're not looking at that the right way because if you're managing your business well, as um, the uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers did, and saying we want to put the best talent on the field. After they did so, they won. How about that? They won a World Series after they had two or three African Americans on their team. Uh, if you were Bear Bryant back in the 1960s and realized, wow, USC came to my hometown and whipped us because they had an integrated team and we did not, I'm going to lead the way for the SEC to begin recruiting players from a different background. Okay, those are stories we all know, but I'm trying to bring it into focus that if 70% plus of our population in the United States, I would say it's arguably similar, at least on a gender equity basis, at least 50% plus in countries all around the world. If 50 to 70% of the population is overlooked, underrepresented, drastically underrepresented in a particular industry, and you have the critical assumption that talent should be evenly distributed throughout the population, you as a business owner have a stake in wanting to make sure that talent, no matter what source it's coming from, uh, should be easily integrated into your firm and uh, be able to deliver the best results on the field. I'd say having Jerry Rice on your team or uh, having Jackie Robinson on your team probably improved the results. It wasn't just a DEI um, uh, initiative or check the box initiative. Those folks were trying to win. And the final, uh, give the final thought on, on sports analogies. If you go to the NFL Combine today, no one's sitting around saying they've got a DEI program. They've got stopwatches. They've got measuring sticks of how far you can jump, uh, how quickly you can go around the three-cone uh, drill. 
because they want the best talent. That's exactly what we're trying to do with IDAC in the asset management industry. And again, more broadly, we think American and global corporations have a role to play in looking for that, um, that mutual interest that we can then move forward to have a better result for our stakeholders. A brilliant analogy. I, I love it. Um, and I have not heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense. Let me let me challenge in that in, in just some of what I hear sometimes. Sure. Right. Which is, <clears throat> well, that all sounds good, but maybe we have a pipeline problem. Right. And, and even you earlier talked about, hey, we got to start in the schools. Right. And whatnot. So how much of the quote unquote pipeline problem is is a is an excuse to uh, to excuse existing uh, discrepancies versus a legitimate um, issue that needs to be dealt with by IDAC or other organizations. Joe, it is the pipeline issue is a, a necessary but insufficient condition that must be solved. There are other structural issues that. Um, as we look at the, uh, the, the data, uh, there are women, minorities, people of historically unutilized backgrounds who have been involved in the financial industry since the 1960s, some of whom have uh, broken new ground, uh, created companies that uh, had uh, great value, um, but you don't see the participation of those individuals at the senior levels of those organizations, at the portfolio management level of those organizations, at the ownership level of building their own firms. You mentioned the 1.4% number that uh, is the data as of last year as far as participation by assets under management uh, in the asset management business. Um, if you only looked at the percentage of firms that are owned by women and those that are classified as as, as uh, minorities. We're also including disabled persons. Uh, we're also including people with neurodiversity uh, across the spectrum. Uh, there are a number of definitions here, but 1.4%. If you look at the number of firms owned by people in those groups, that number is about 18 to 20%. So just getting to 18 or 20% would be huge progress above 1.4. But those individuals, again, make up 70% plus of the U.S. population. So we are so far away from that. And, and IDAC is simply saying, let's double the number to 3% within five years, which is going to be a lot of hard work. And uh, we may have some egg on our face because we've said we're, we're willing to be uh, held to that standard of how, how we've done in helping to move the needle. Uh, but Getting to 3% is nowhere close to either a medium term goal of 18 to 20%, which would be equivalent to the number of firms, or 70% plus. Uh, but I think if you don't have a plan, uh, it's quite likely you're not going to get there. It's like if you don't know where you're going to go, any road will take you there. <laughs> we didn't want to find the right road to get us to the destination uh, that we've settled on as a consensus within IDAC. Absolutely. And as you recall, you and I were on the same side of that, of that debate, trying <laughs> yes. to get more uh, measurable goals in there. Right. I'm glad we, we uh, prevailed. Um, hear you. Uh, however, what I, and, and I, I hadn't realized that 18 to 20 percent number. So that's interesting. So it's the managers are out there. They're just not uh, amassing as much 
uh, AUM and for non-finance people, assets and management as other other groups. Okay, so that's that's helpful to understand. Um, let me ask you too about where we are sort of in the in the in the macro setting because uh, and this is just my observation in venture and and as a as a as a manager in the in the the past few years following the murder of George Floyd there was a, a what felt like a peak right uh, a, a, an acceleration of of interest from right. from allocators from uh, groups that you know are, are looking to back emerging and diverse managers and uh, but since then in the past I'd say year and a half or so it feels like a lot of that has dropped off and some of that enthusiasm has waned what what's your perspective on kind of the the overall macro trends uh, around these themes? Well, uh, Joe, I've been a professional in the investment business uh, for 35 years, so I've seen a lot of cycles. Um, And uh, inevitably, there is an incident that may cause attention to come to this issue. Um, There are reasons uh, that the economy is doing well and people are, uh, you know, a little more freely interested in doing things that are perceived as altruistic. Again, I don't want to hang the hat just on the altruistic thing, because uh, I think there are business reasons to do it uh, constantly as opposed to just when times are good. Uh, but there are these cycles. And yes, uh, there was a great deal of interest from corporations, from individuals uh, who perhaps had not focused on DEI in the past. Um, uh, and that has waned as, um, you know, I think the, the American public moves on to whatever the next shiny object is and whatever the, the current interest is. And of course, over the last year and a half, it's been on inflation. Um, we've uh, had uh, other things going on in the political and judicial backdrop that uh, have changed the tone. Um, but what we've been trying to do at IDAC and what I've been trying to do personally at uh, the firm I work for and, um, and, and firms prior to that is to stabilize the uh, our eye on the ball. What are we trying to accomplish? I always I'm I'm a bit of a quant, so I'm I'm a believer in having uh, an objective function. What are you trying to solve for? So if you're trying to solve for best results, then again I prefer using the term talent maximization over DEI because that gets the point across that this is a critical path uh, choke point that if we are not all interested in finding the best talent then we're not gonna have the best results for our stakeholders. So I'm trying to get past the cycle issue, but obviously I can't ignore it. Uh, It's out there. There have been um, some uh, unfortunate decisions uh, made in the judiciary and legislative bodies um, um, over the last couple of years that have gone back to the, uh, what I'll call the worst angels in our nature of pitting one group against another. Uh, of uh, saying that the word identity politics uh, is something we want to get away from um, versus saying America has done best when we realize we are uh, that amalgam, that stew, that salad, whatever you want to say, of mixing together the best of humanity from around the world that's come to these shores by various means. Um, We were formed as a country that believed in a set of ideals, not in uh, uh, you know, land and bloodlines. We uh, formed a country that 
gave everyone the opportunity to aspire for excellence. Um, and pitting these uh, groups against one another, as I've seen more of since the time of the George Floyd murder, um, really takes our eye off the ball of what the objective function should be. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that IDAC wants to speak out about. We're apolitical, so we're not here to make a uh, political uh, uh, statement. We're here to make a business statement uh, and hearkening to the best, the better angels in the, uh, in the American uh, uh, culture. And we believe that that translates very well globally as we look at bringing the best talent uh, particularly from a, 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 a gender equity perspective uh, throughout the world. Understood. So the IDAC Global Summit is coming up in uh, September 19th and 20th in Chicago. Feels like it'll be right around the corner. It's, yes. it's going to be here before you know it. Absolutely. Um, why should people prioritize this event and what can folks expect? Very simply, Joe, I would say that if there are those who understand the, the uh, statement we're making about providing the best opportunity to do a good job for our clients, this is one of the critical path issues that needs to be solved. And if you really want to solve it, IDAC and the Global Summit is a great place to come to actually work on action points that we can do to move the needle. Um, secondly, if you're a person like me, Joe, who has been to every conference known to mankind for those 35 years that I've been in this business, um, all well-meaning, all great uh, information gathered, but most of those conversations were about, let's identify the problem, let's figure out who to blame for the problem. IDAC is about how do we fix the problem? And if you want to, if you're tired of talking about it like I am after 35 years, I, you know, my runway is uh, probably less than two decades to go. Um, I want to actually leave this industry and this world a better place uh, before I'm in a rocking chair somewhere. And those who have a similar desire to actually explore actionable steps that can make it a more equitable industry that gives us better results for each of our stakeholders, they're invited to be a part of what we're talking about at IDAC. Um, we'll get into it a little bit more, but each of those cohorts that you mentioned um, uh, are responsible for recommending several action points that coming out of this Chicago convention on September 19th, 19th and 20th, that we can be working on together uh, to move that number from 1.4%. And you know, I want to give credit for uh, to Dr. Josh Lerner uh, at Harvard, who's worked together with the Knight Foundation. I believe there's, uh, there is preliminary evidence that those numbers are beginning to move, but we want to get them to at least 3%. Um, five years from now. Absolutely. And and Josh Lerner is also uh, a speaker at the event. Correct. Um, he also happens to be an advisor to uh, Baybridge Ventures. Um, and so, but just to double click um, on your, your comment around action and like talk, walking the walk versus just talking the talk. So there, this is the second summit. Correct. Uh, we had a summit last year, uh, around the same time of year um, in Atlanta. And one of my biggest takeaways was this isn't just a normal conference where you sit down in a seat and you just pay attention to right. a great speaker. It's very and, intentional. And we do have some amazing speakers, <laughs> yes. by the way, which, which we should highlight. But it's about uh, it's about sitting with your cohort and actually contributing towards a plan of action towards what can we actually do together 
so so it's more it's more of a like I think you said like a convention than a than a conference. Right. Isn't that exciting though? I mean, yeah. I love the idea of crowdsourcing ideas, having people that their experience is central to them and they would like to be able to share from their personal perspective, from the DEI journey perspective of their company, what has worked, what's not worked, what were the speed bumps that had to be overcome and sharing that information uh, in those cohort sessions that you mentioned. And yes, uh, it's IDAC and the Global Summit uh, is a very different kind of dynamic where you're not just listening to someone from on stage, you're participating, you're putting your ideas on the table and iron sharpening iron saying, how can we make this better? How can we optimize a solution? Uh, going back to my quant thoughts there. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's exciting. And we, we feel that energy from uh, the several hundred members of IDAC who have contributed to working groups throughout the year. You mentioned the cohorts earlier, each of the uh, different stakeholders in our industry. Separate from that, there are several working streams, working groups that are working on pieces that are necessary but insufficient on their own to accomplish moving the needle. And um, very briefly, I'll cover a few of them. Uh, we don't have time to probably to cover them all, but one of them is uh, to talk about standards of DEI disclosure. And that working group will have recommendations in Chicago on September 20th of uh, a common set of things that we can agree on to disclose. If we strongly believe if you don't measure something, you can't manage it. So what should we be measuring to determine are we moving the needle? So that DEI standards group, standards of DEI disclosure, they'll have recommendations. Uh, there's another group that's working on a digital resource library. You can think of it as a search engine that can uh, provide information at your fingertips for anything you'd like to know on this topic of talent maximization, or if you choose to call it DEI, it's at your fingertips. How do you apply a DEI policy from a, uh, an HR perspective within your firm? How do you apply a DEI uh, policy as an investment policy statement if you're an allocator? How do you, as a trustee on a board uh, that, man that is overseeing these billions of dollars of assets that these allocators manage. How do you bring to bear a desire that uh, the managers that work with you uh, are chosen from the best out there and not just chosen from a small portion of the population? Uh, those things are right now hard to find. Uh, there are wonderful things going on from mentoring programs to um, uh, great policies that have been written uh, for an endowment, but might, might not be appropriate for a government pension fund, but might not be appropriate for a private wealth organization. We're trying to find ways that we can find the best practices, put them in front of people so that they can get a better result. I'm a big believer, Joe, in the concept of uh, um, uh, networking, that network theory tells me uh, that you're better off being connected to a lot of different ideas and best practices rather than just having your blinders on and trying to create it on your own. You mentioned George Floyd. Since George Floyd's murder um, a couple of summers ago, I'd say 80%, 85% of the companies that I speak to uh, have said, we want to do something, Sam, but we don't know what to do. Or we tried something and it didn't work. Um, so this digital resource library is a way of providing uh, great 
context, personal DEI journeys of companies of what they've done and what worked. Again, things that even didn't work that might be useful knowledge. So that work stream, the Digital Resource Library, is doing a lot of great work that's that's extremely important. Um, so in addition to the cohorts, there are these working groups that are uh, pulling together information that we think is going to be extremely useful for uh, for all of our participants and stakeholders. Yeah, very good point. And, and I think um, that's part of why IDAC, I think in particular, uh, in terms of organizations I've been involved with historically, um, has so much energy and so much, um, it has attracted such incredible people who are on the board, who are speaking at the event, who are sponsoring the event. Can you just give us a sense of the caliber of people and organizations that are involved? And let me start by saying, just having people of your caliber, Joe, that have been involved and have put a lot of sweat equity into building this organization. It's, uh, it's, it's an honor to work with people like you. Uh, there are uh, 13 board members from uh, some of the most uh, impressive firms uh, in the country. If I begin naming some, I'll probably forget some. So, uh, but uh, you know, I'll throw a few out there, and then I'll get chastised for those that I forgot. But uh, <laughs> Goldman Sachs, um, uh, 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 BlackRock, um, uh, Garcia Hamilton. Um, uh, a, a number of organizations, Delta Airlines. Um, uh, uh, we have foundations uh, like the Girl Scouts of America. Uh, we have um, uh, a hospital in Chicago that uh, has a very interesting perspective on this, um, as well as we mentioned earlier, um, um, allocators and investment consultants. Um, and we haven't talked yet about the industry uh, participants who are also an, an hugely important part of this business. Um, you mentioned earlier that there are a number of other organizations involved in the concept of DEI and uh, how do we fix equitable participation in our business. So organizations like uh, National Association of Securities Professionals or NASP, New America Alliance, uh, the Association of Asian American Investment Manager, Managers, uh, and we've reached out to organizations across the spectrum. Everyone's welcome at our table. Uh, we want their participation. Mostly we want their vocal participation in letting us know what is their perspective on uh, what equitable participation looks like. Right. And um, <clears throat> I mean, that that's one of the other, I don't want to say differentiators, but one of the, the aspects of, of IDAC that jumped out at me uh, uh, from the get-go, which was big tent. Everybody is welcome. If, right. if you if you are passionate about this mission, come on in. It doesn't matter what you look like, where Couldn't you come have said from. It better. That's right. And <laughs> and we want to have a big tent. And and I, and I believe it ties to that network theory that you 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 mentioned earlier. Um, and just to give a, a few other shout outs, there sponsors uh, include Invesco, uh, Goldman Sachs, uh, Carlyle, BlackRock, Crucial Partners. Um, and a number of other large organizations. So this, these are That's these right. are the big leagues the, check, in our industry. <laughs> check, check our website at idac.net, and uh, uh, all the names will be listed up there, um, both from last year and this year. 
and, and I'll, I'll call out a few uh, other speakers that are going to be Please. there. Dr. John Clace, right. uh, CEO of Allborn. We mentioned Josh Lerner. Uh, Rod June, uh, CIO of Lasers, is going to be there. Uh, anyone else that uh, that you want to uh, highlight? Sure. Angela Miller May um, will be uh, leading off the opening reception on the 19th. Uh, the CIO of the uh, Illinois Municipal Retirement Fund. Um, we have a number of representatives from across the spectrum of um, endowments and foundations, government pension funds, corporate pension funds. Um, and uh, again, having the academic portion of this, uh, understanding where those structural barriers are that I referred to earlier. Uh, it's not just a pipeline issue, but how do we get past some of the uh, things that keep talented, great uh, individuals who've done a fantastic job at a majority-owned firm hang out their shingle, but they can't get traction quickly enough. How do we overcome some of those structural barriers? Uh, I think the academic input there, as well as the practitioner input, uh, is extremely exciting. And you mentioned industry partners a couple times. Can you just expand on who, what kinds of organizations those are? Or I guess maybe you did. Uh, well, I talked about it a little bit, and you know, obviously there are many, many more. We have. Um, uh, investment banks and brokers are right. in that group. We have um, uh, professional organizations uh, like the CFA Society. Um, we've uh, invited anyone that is interested in uh, helping to solve this problem to be a part. Uh, IDAC goes to uh, great lengths to try to make it clear to people uh, that we're all in this together. And to the extent that we're uh, saying, well, we're only interested in what's in the best interest of certain groups, whether that be women, Asians, Latinos, um, African-Americans, white individuals. Uh, those divisive uh, issues are keeping us from accomplishing what's best for the industry, what's best for our country, what's best for this world. Absolutely. Um, and we, we talked a bit about <clears throat> public uh, private partnerships. Right. We talked about um, the the judicial system in the, right. in the U.S. Uh, we should we should uh, highlight that just a few weeks ago, uh, the Supreme Court had a major ruling um, against affirmative action. Right. And as we talk about pipeline, right. we talk about people coming <laughs> through the pipeline. That's a critical part of the pipe. No. So we'd love to. And I know you're not speaking on the, on behalf of any organizations you're a part of, but. Just Sam Austin, what's your what's your take on it? Right. Again, I think it's a misreading of what this country's ideals are about. Um, we know that you can't put a person on the 80 yard line in a in a hundred yard dash and somebody else back at the starting blocks and say, "Well, we're just going to blame the guy in the starting blocks because he didn't win the race." Well, if you started off 80 yards behind. We need to find out what are the structural things we can do to fix that, to make sure that there's a level playing field. Um, it's unfortunate that um, what I think uh, many considered settled law on um, uh, making sure that diversity is a part of a university's culture, that that's a positive thing. It's a cultural good. It's a it's a societal good that uh, we're. Uh, that some some elements have turned their back on that. Again, I'm not a politician, so I'm not trying to make a political statement. What I am trying to do is help America live up to its ideals, uh, help our industry be the best that it can be. And um, I do think that um, 
IDAC can play a small role uh, by helping our industry get our act together. Again, I think that the concept of public-private partnerships yields a better result, but we're not ready to have that public-private partnership until the private sector does its part. But expanding on that thought a little bit more, Joe, one thing that we think is critically important uh, for bringing those 10,000 new professionals into our industry, again, one of the goals that we talked about at the top, is providing financial literacy education in every public school in America, in every public school around the world. That's a public good. That's a societal good. If people grow up and understand how to balance their checkbook, they understand what mortgages are, they understand how to manage their money for retirement, um, that's a societal good. That's not a red or blue issue. That should be something that we should all be able to get behind. But again, before we can go to the public sector, whether that be legislative bodies, judicial bodies, uh, regulatory bodies, um, to ask for their help, we have to get our act together in the industry to know exactly what to ask for, how do you build the right curriculum. Uh, to my understanding, I think there are about 17 of the 50 US states that currently have financial literacy uh, programs. Which are the best ones? What are the best uh, curriculum ideas we can pull from them? And then put together a, um, an opportunity to advocate with those government entities that this is something that is in the interest of the American people, people around the world in general. So that's an example of, right. I think, how we at uh, IDAC are not just going to point out something we're complaining about with a judicial decision or uh, you know decisions that have been made in other political realms, but pointing the direction toward a solution. How can we do something that's going to lift all boats? Just for the record, I think you'd be a terrific politician. <laughs> Don't mean, put that on me. And I mean that in the most positive way. Um, well, let, let's 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 rewind the tape a little bit. Sure. Let's pull it back to Sam Austin, the 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 kiddo, the sure. child. Yeah. Right. Uh, you you had a nice comment earlier about um, some of my family photos. Um, tell me what it was like for you growing up in Austin. Sam Austin from Austin. Right. I'm sure you right. a lot. But what was it like growing up in Austin, Texas? Um, and, 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 you know, maybe talk a little bit about how your early experiences kind of informed some of your, um, your, your current work. Thanks for asking, Joe. I'm actually going to wind it back a little bit even before Austin, Please. because um, uh, first of all, at the most basic fundamental personal level, um, I'm an adopted kid. So I was chosen by my parents. Um, and, you know, that was something that was always talked about in the household. I didn't figure out what adoption meant until I think in the fourth grade library, I looked it up in the books. Oh, wow, I didn't know what that, what that meant. But it was a very healthy environment and one where I felt wanted and chosen. Um, but we grew up, I grew up in my first few years until I was about five years old in a very rural setting, a small town, about 3000 people uh, with the uh, uh, name of a famous comedian, Dangerfield, Texas. So, um, <laughs> Very rural, and you know, I remember wearing you know overalls every day and uh, running around with my my grandfather, who was kind of uh, the person that I looked up to the most as a as a youngster. My father uh, and mother were both teachers, which ties into what I do now in advising public um, uh, pension funds, government pension funds, because I know what it's like to be a public servant and to uh, work toward a retirement where you're living on a fixed income. But my father 
um, benefited from um, the relationships that his family had built with um, uh, people throughout that small little town. So Lyndon Johnson, shows you how old I am, uh, when he was elected president, um, he appointed someone from this tiny little town of Dangerfield, Texas to be postmaster general. Relatively minor role, but as a cabinet role. Uh, that fellow appointed another white gentleman from this small town to run something called the Economic Development Administration, EDA, as part of the Department of Commerce. But it was about building uh, infrastructure education in uh, rural white America, in urban America, on Native American reservations. And my father uh, was picked by that gentleman to come to Austin to uh, help him run this Economic Development Administration. And he flew all over the country working on these uh, these projects. And even today, when I'll go through uh, Native American territory out in Arizona, I'll see some projects, you know, water tanks and towers that he helped build. Uh, so that concept of what he was doing then, it's like, wow, he's trying to make things better for people. That really affected me. Okay, so I moved to Austin at five years old and uh, get there just as integration is starting uh, in the Deep South um, and uh, end up going to school where I'm one of, uh, you know, just a very few African-Americans. Uh, most of the school was white and uh, almost as many individuals were Hispanic in that uh, setting. But it was it taught me multiculturalism. It taught me the ability to communicate and understand other people's perspectives and how to bring people together. Um, to, to bring it home, long story short, by the time I get to high school, my high school, um, the, uh, uh, the mascot of my high school was uh, the Rebels. The uh, flag that we flew was the uh, Confederate battle flag. And uh, the school fight song was Dixie. So <laughs> this is a very different perspective than perhaps we might have in 2023. Uh, but at that time, that was just the circumstances around me. And I was always the person that everyone got along with. I made sure that people uh, understood I was interested in their perspectives and wanted to hear what they had to say, um, that I had solutions and ideas that I thought were best for uh, the organizations I was involved in. I was a joiner, so I was part of everything uh, in, in, in the organization, including being student body president of this school that uh, flew the rebel flag. Um, I think that a lot of that informs uh, where I'm at today, um, and some of uh, the blood, sweat, and tears that I poured into IDAC. But right now, IDAC is a, an amalgamation of so many individuals like yourself, high-quality organizations and professionals who have made it something far greater than, than I could have even conceived when we first thought of the idea three and a half, four years ago. Wow. That's uh, that. <laughs> it's so funny how many of those threads kind of tie to yeah. uh, to where you are today. Um, oh, I, I just had to ask the side question, which is that ability you have to get along with people, to connect, to hear their ideas. Um, the word I think of is empathy. Hmm. Do you feel like empathy is one of your superpowers, or would you describe it differently? I think empathy is my son's superpower. He, son. Okay. <laughs> yes, my son Sam the Fourth. Uh, he has a lot of those elements we just talked about, but he has them at another level than I do. Um, and I don't know that I'd ever really thought about it in terms of empathy, but he talks about it all the time. And it's gotten me more cognizant 
of what an important quality it is uh, to be able to see things through another person's eyes um, and to be able to uh, hold several different uh, potentially conflicting thoughts in your head at the same time and realize that, uh, you know, one doesn't have to be absolutely wrong or absolutely right. Let's find the confluence of things that's going to be good for both of us. That, and that's what I hear when I hear you talk about talent maximization. What I hear is you putting yourself in the position of someone who maybe, you know, isn't interested in DNI or diversity is kind of like a, well, what's that or why does it matter? And then, but they, in their perspective, they're like, well, of course I want to maximize my talent, right? right. And so I feel like I see you doing that. And uh, I'd love to meet your son. It sounds like he does it even better, <laughs> but um, I, I, at least I personally think that's that's something that uh, is, is a great strength of yours. Uh, what about, uh, just one more question around your, well, maybe a couple, but around your early career, like getting into finance, you said you've been in finance for 35 years. Right. Getting into finance, did you have any, um, important experiences early in your career that, you know, whether they were connected to talent maximization or race or, or any of these things that, um, that affected you, um, or, or, or generally how was your experience in that, in that stage of life? Sure. I'll give one story, Joe, that I hope encapsulates it. Cause I could have gone 10 different directions with that question. Um, I came to wall street right after the crash. So 1988, um, and went through uh, a credit training program uh, at Bank of New York at the time. Uh, interesting time on the street when uh, um, the, uh, the, 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 the really fine book, Liar's Poker, was written about that time period. Uh, knew a lot of those guys that are, that are mentioned in that book. Uh, a lot of the younger folks that are in that book were, you know, getting, down, getting together with us down at the, uh, um, uh, at, at, at the uh, watering holes after work. Um, but that experience, uh, eventually I'm skipping a few steps here, uh, led to me just taking on myself, Joe, to get to know movers and shakers, people that were managing directors, um, at other firms. Um, and I remember sitting down, uh, with this one gentleman telling him how I enjoyed managing, uh, investments as a hobby for college uh, friends or for family members um, and telling him that I would hope one day I would be able to get into the asset management part of the business. That was one of probably, you know, several dozen lunches that I had, just uh, informational interviews to talk with people that I thought uh, could give me insight on where how they got to where they were in their career. I had no idea until many years later that um, Another company, um, uh, it, was, it was then called Bankers Trust Company, um, had, um, had an experience with um, an allocator where they'd gone out to visit this allocator and the allocator and a per specifically a person on that board, um, uh, her name was Denise Lamote. Um, Denise asked the people from Bankers Trust, why is there no one that looks like me that you ever send out here? And that sent Bankers Trust into a hustle to find, well, let's find a qualified person that we can put into this role and have them be a portfolio manager. Um, they, in turn, called this guy, unbeknownst to me, called this guy I'd had lunch with and said, who do you know? And he recommended me. Um, I had no idea about this for several years after I joined Bankers Trust that I owed 
my entry into the asset management part of the business uh, to a trustee who at that time I had never met on the other side of the country and to a managing director at a large majority owned firm who had just been impressed by our lunch conversation and put my name in the hat. Now, some people would call that affirmative action. I call it somebody identified a great talent and said, let's put this guy to work. Um, so hopefully that encapsulates a little bit of how my early career went um, and went on from there to do uh, a lot of things that are similar to what we're doing with IDAC. But uh, I think it's informative of the, the things that changed me and got me started, but also got me wondering how many other really incredible women are there out there? How many incredible uh, Latinos, how many incredible Asians and African-Americans, uh, people from other countries and heritages that have latent talent, but they've not been tapped. They've not been brought into a role where they can contribute. In theory, we all want to grow GDP, right? <laughs> well, if we want to grow the GDP and there's 70% plus of the, of the population that's been underutilized, maybe we should bring them in. Um, final sports analogy. Mm. Um, you know, there are some folks who felt like women should never play professional sports, shouldn't play soccer, let's say. Uh, and they were satisfied that only men should play soccer. Um, U.S. doesn't have a lot of World Cup championships in the men's soccer side. So it's probably a really good idea that one of those public-private partnership ideas back in the 70s was Title IX to say, let's let women play uh, college sports. Let's uh, develop the kind of uh, uh, training programs we need for it to have a women's national <laughs> team. And my goodness, we have four World Cup championships. <laughs> what a concept. So I think that ties, to me at least, very much back to the story of my in, in introduction to the asset management business 30-some years ago uh, that uh, somebody said, wow, there's a talent nobody else is looking at over here. Let's bring them on to our team. Right, right. And it's uh, it's timely because the Women's World Cup is starting uh, soon. Uh, right, yesterday. yesterday. Yesterday it started. U.S. Yeah. plays tonight. That's right, that's right. Um, one more comment just on your personal journey or question would be, um, I know that this this talent development piece for uh, for the youth it's not just something you you you're involved with via IDAC you're also involved via NASP and the Fast Forward program can you just tell us a little bit about that and why it's important so important to you Gosh yeah that's my baby right there <laughs> um, the NASP Fast Track program again National Association of Securities Professionals national organization there are chapters around the country I've uh, formed the first chapter. I was the founding president of the first chapter of NAS back in the early 90s in, in New York City. And one of the very first things that we did, um, uh, I remember this thought coming to me at two o'clock in the morning about, you know, how do we reach younger students? Because at that time, there were uh, notable programs that are still going strong today, like the uh, Sponsors for Educational Opportunity or SEO program, the uh, Robert and Sue Tuigo Foundation, uh, the Tuigo Scholars, uh, that were at the graduate school level. And I thought, we need to go younger. We need to reach high school kids. And the Finance and Scholastic Training Track, or Fast Track program, was intended to introduce those students to some of those same folks I used to have lunches with, <laughs> some of those movers and shakers. I'd invite them to come in and, and you know, have them talk to the students about how did you get to be, uh, how did you, Ken Chenault, get to be president of American Express? Um, uh, and to tell them, this is 
the type of talent and skills you have to have to do this person's job. Let's practice that after the person speaks and give them those students a chance to practice being a bond trader uh, or practice having a mergers and acquisition discussion uh, and inspire them that they too uh, could be uh, a leader uh, and uh, someone that can help change the world, whether that's through venture capital, um, uh, you know, creating uh, a new technology, uh, uh, creating, uh, you know, bioscience improvements that can extend people's lives, uh, that through finance, you can be involved in all of that. So that program, Fast Track, now is in, I believe, eight different cities where the National Association of Securities Professionals operates. And um, along with the NASP NorCal or, or Bay Area uh, President Antoinette Bing, um, I launched uh, a, another Fast Track chapter here in the Bay Area last year, working with Mission High School. Uh, this year, we're uh, looking to expand that into Oakland High Schools as well as San Francisco High Schools. Wow, brilliant. I mean, I, I feel like <clears throat> so much of career development is about exposure. And if you're, if you're not exposed, if you're just in the dark to potential career paths, uh, it can close off a lot of doors. Right. And, um, and I think it helps to disrupt um, uh, preconceived notions that students may have. Right. Right. Whereas like, oh, finance, like, well, I can't go into finance because I'm not, you know, I, I don't look like this or I'm not a, you know, it, maybe they see boiler room or billion, billions or <laughs> and they're like, I'm not a, you know, a jerk. Or, I mean, and I had the same bias against engineers. I was right. like, what do engineers do? They work on a train. Right. Um, what a, what a computer scientists do. They're all like nerds and whatnot. And, and a lot of those preconceived notions are incorrect. Like, that's right. You know, violently incorrect. So, um, so to me, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, we are just so um, honored to be able to work with some of those kids over the, uh, the years who we've seen them blossom. Um, this first set of kids we're working with here at uh, the NAS. NorCal Fast Track program. Uh, the two seniors uh, in the program were uh, uh, accepted and will be matriculating in the fall at Stanford and at Cal. Um, and, you know, I, I know that many of the experiences they had in the Fast Track program have been uh, formative and helping them see that uh, anything's possible for them. Absolutely. And I actually had the good fortune of getting to see one of the, uh, the NASP fast forward uh, uh, participants in Southern California. Yes. Um, uh, a few months ago, uh, at an event that was led by uh, Norris Rice. Rice. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was so inspiring to hear because yeah. some of them were early in their journey, and right. some of them had been in, had been there for a few years and were at right. college, and some of them had challenges at at, at college. But the the community really rallied yeah. around them and are helping them get to the next level. And you could yeah. tell it was. It's having a huge impact. So Maurice is doing a fabulous job uh, running the SoCal version of Fast Track. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Shout out to Norris. Right. <laughs> hey, Norris. <laughs> uh, so let's um, let's move to your personal philosophy. Um, so kind of what makes Sam Austin tech here? Yeah. Um, is there a quote or a passage or, or anything you think about in times of struggle or frustration? Wow. I think all people are created equals pretty far up there on the list for me. Um, back to my core beliefs in meritocracy, um, that there's something inspiring just about the human spirit. 
about the indomitable nature of um, a person that has a focused idea and the passion and drive and persistence to stick with that idea. Um, that's that inspires me in whatever field I see it, whether it's in uh, sciences, whether it's in uh, entertainment, music, uh, art, um, or whether you've got a, um, uh, a an idea that you believe can help make the world a better place through uh, financial support that you know create the creation of capital and proper allocation of it can create a better world. Those are the things that drive me. And I want to be around other people that have that same sense spark of uh, creativity. Uh, sidebar, total sidebar. Um, <laughs> I remember at some point in college, I was taking a class on uh, uh, the Impressionist painters back in the 1870s. Mm. Um, totally, it seems totally unrelated to what we're talking about in IDAC, but I remember being so impressed that these brilliant artists who were rejected by the establishment at the time, they weren't allowed to show their work um, uh, in, in the main uh, forums where, where, where uh, good art was brought forward because they, they had a, a new technique, this impressionist technique of painting. But they would gather together in salons and bars and coffee shops or over at each other's homes. And by getting together and sharing ideas, they made themselves better. It's back to that network theory idea. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just a small group of a couple of dozen people in Paris who are outcasts and considered to be not worthy of showing their work in the Louvre or the, the finer museums. And yet they created something that was brilliantly different. A little bit of that is in IDAC as well, that I love this idea of taking folks that uh, perhaps are not considered to be the experts on DEI and having us share ideas and uh, iron sharpen iron until we can find better solutions that are actionable to make the world a better place. Absolutely. And the other kind of part of that analogy that I like is they weren't recognized at the time right, right away. Right. Right. And, um, and I think that's part of it is, you know, people coming together with contrarian ideas right. and 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 creating that energy and creating the movement and then 10 years 20 years down the road it seems obvious it seems like go. oh that was always going to happen it's like no no <laughs> <laughs> right so if you think you're maybe the next Monet or Renoir or Pissarro show up in Chicago we'll uh, put your work on display <laughs> <laughs> perfect perfect um who is someone in your life or career that had a meaningful uh impact on the trajectory or changing the trajectory of, of a part of your life? Wow. You know, I, if you asked me that question yesterday, I would not have come up with this answer. But the person that pops into my head uh, was someone that was there during my first year on Wall Street at Bank of New York who um, insisted on excellence. And we thought, this dude is a real bore. He's, uh, you know, he's always, hard. he never has a good thing to say. And he would always tell me, um, you know, Sam, I think you're pushing on a string. That was one of the sayings or, uh, you're, you're hurting cats and, you know, you, uh, I, I don't think you've really thought this through. And, you know, I would have been up all night working on something and he'd still find a flaw in it, but it drove me to do that extra bit of work to make sure that I had triple checked all my numbers and I was a better 
investment professional because of that guy driving me to that extent, even though I hated it at the time. Um, so Peter Helt, if you're still out there somewhere, that, that was him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few like that too. I, I won't name the names, but yes, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Um, ooh, this is a good one. I, I have to ask you this one. Name one person from history that you would like to meet. Wow. Man. That's a tough one. Um, you know, the, 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 the scientist side of me would want to meet um, Isaac Newton and uh, Albert Einstein. I think the humanist side of me um, would want to spend some time with uh, Martin Luther King and Gandhi. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a student of history, so I, I, I have about a thousand names running through my head right now. I, I don't know if I could boil it down to one, but I think understanding and um, studying history is a little bit connected to that empathy thing of understanding these were human beings like we were that lived decades or hundreds or thousands of years ago, but they were still modern humans and their set of wants, needs, desires weren't terribly different from ours, just we got a lot more technology than they do. Uh, but trying to understand their perspective of what they brought to the table at that time, what were the, uh, the struggles they were going through, um, what was it they got Lincoln from the point of saying, I'll do whatever it takes to keep the union together to saying, you know, we need to make sure that we understand that, uh, uh, you know, all people in this country are people and uh, should be free. How, how, did, how did he make that journey? So I'm, I'm really interested in that. So that doesn't really directly answer your question because I gave you about five <laughs> or six different names there. That's okay. That's okay. I mean, I'm, uh, it, it might, I also have a passion for history, but it started later in life. Like in, in, when I was young, I, I disliked history right. courses. But I, once I found it on my own, um, I, I came to realize it was all about uh, compelling stories and compelling bravery and uh, excellence in very different times. And right. to your point around empathy, like putting yourself in that position, what it would have been like, um, it's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, um, same. What do you believe that other people do not? What, and in other words, what is your most contrarian opinion? Wow. Well, you know, look, there's a large community that, that would agree with me, but I think most of us would be classified as uh, science fiction nerds. Um, you know, when I go down this track, it, it's, there's usually nothing good for me saying it, but uh, <laughs> I, I think I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> so I think you're in good company. <laughs> I, I, I grew up as a huge fan of Star Trek, and mm. I'm a big believer in that hopeful future that idea of all peoples, even all species, <laughs> having a, um, a common idea of working together and that infinite diversity and infinite combinations is a good thing, um, despite the, uh, uh, the, the recent uh, opinions of the Supreme Court. Um, that's, I consider that still a contrary opinion compared to most. Now, there, there's a bunch of other, you know, Trekkies out there that would probably say, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that, Sam. But I, I don't, I, I think when I was a little kid, I thought that's the society that we're building towards. And I see us going the opposite direction right now. Mm -hmm. um, so um, that's one that I still strongly believe in. And uh, 
no, I don't think we can travel faster than light. But that's a whole nother story. But, uh, the, the concept. Yet. Not yeah, yet. I like the concept. Not <laughs> yet. Right. And let's hope we uh, we go down the Star Trek uh, path instead of the Star Wars path. <laughs> right, right. Let's hope. Um, Sam, thank you so much for being here. Um, as you can probably tell, you know, I, I think the world of you, I respect you, I admire Appreciate you. Um, I, I've really enjoyed working with you on IDAC and uh, it's a joy to have you here today and be able to share a little bit about the work we've done together and, and of course the work of your career. So th thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, if people wanna follow you, follow sure. IDAC, uh, get to this, nat this global summit in Please. October in We'd Chicago. How do how do they how do they right. they find it? Go to idac.net, idac.net, uh, and you'll find the links to the registration and the sponsorship sites for uh, the uh, second annual IDAC Global Summit on DEI, uh, September 19th and 20th in Chicago. Um, please come and be a part of making our industry a better place, making our country and our world a better place. Appreciate that. Let's make history. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Thank, Thank you so you much Sam. for having me. Appreciate it. You bet.